Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Asian Americans. Hope you've been well. And uh, as we wrap up uh, this wonderful May uh, that has been both many highs in our community and, um, again, causes for concern, um, wishing you continued safety and health um, here on the Asian Americans. My name is Jerry Wan. And so if you are joining us for the first time, I welcome you. And if you've been with us for a while, uh, welcome back. Uh, and speaking of welcome back, I am so excited to welcome back a former guest of ours, uh, Neil Ruiz of the Pew Research Center, who's been on the show before. And in the first episode, when he joined us, we are, uh, we learned about his personal uh, origin story and, and how he uh, began his work in data and to uh, storytell through data. And that's on episode 112. And you can uh, check that out on theersamericans.com. Uh, today, Neil returns to share with us updated insights as we uh, celebrate another May and mark a momentous um, celebration and moment in our um, existence and contributions to American society as Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders. Uh, we'll put the links to all the stories and the studies that we mentioned in our podcast. And this is a part of uh, episode number four now of our 10-part series with Stand with Asian Americans as we tackle the topic, Dear Asian Americans, What Now? And so my conversations with Neil today uh, focus on how we can use data and how we can use storytelling through data uh, and objective tools, measures, and uh, sentiments of uh, survey participants to help advocate for our community in, in so many different ways. And so, again, big thanks to the SWA team, uh, Justin, Wendy, Diana, Brian, so many more. Uh, really a pleasure to work with our folks to help our stories move ahead. And so, Without further ado, I present to you my second conversation with Neil Ruiz of the Pew Research Center. I'm so happy to welcome back Neil Ruiz from the Pew Research Center. Uh, you know, we, we always say the, um, I love all of our guests, but Neil does some interesting uh, work, really, really interesting work at the Pew Research Center. And uh, his research and work revolves around telling our community story from a data perspective. And so last year he came on and we got to learn about his personal background of you know, how does somebody become a data scientist in particular, study us? Because again, I think that's not on the list of any Asian parents' dreams jobs for their kids, but it's it's uh, necessary, right? And I think, you know, let, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, first of all, welcome back to the show. And, oh, and how has it been for you to, um, I, I think for many of us in the community, especially in the media side, we know you on a, on a first name basis as our data guy. Since, since the big uh, research report came out last year, you know, almost a year, more than a year ago, uh, which was a key facts about our diverse population. And it's mm -hmm. a study that I reference a lot in my work and other people find, you know, super fascinating because it was probably one of the very first data sets that we can share objectively about how complex our community is today and how much more complex it will be to share our story based on changing demographic studies. And so how has the last year been for you sharing what you know and uh, having a very unique perspective on sort of what we've been through. Yeah, I mean, thank you, Jerry, for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be. Um, I love your Asian Americans, so it's nice to be here. But yes, yeah, since a year ago, um, it's been great to share the stories or understanding of Asian Americans in the United States. Um, there's always that perception that we're a monolithic group, right? That we're all Asians are the same when we're so diverse. So I think that that is important to, you know, we're a record, you know, 22 million Asian Americans in the United States, but we trace our roots to way more than 20 countries in East Asia, Southeast Asia, South Asia, with everyone with different unique cultures, 
languages and so many different ways people came into the United States. So I think that story and I think that narrative based on just simple data is something important just to bring the facts to the national narrative on Asian Americans. And then how has that fact-based storytelling been received? Because I think what a lot of people unfortunately do is take our personal anecdotes and our personal experiences and to say, well, I haven't experienced that or in my experience X and not to not to diminish their experiences because everybody's experiences are valid. But sometimes when we are able to bring in this notion of a large data set, then, you know, we're able to say, well, I appreciate your story. However, that's just not the way that's, you know, the, the data says. And so, you know, even in terms of how we are represented, right, how we see ourselves, um, one that I reference a lot in my work is the the plot chart that you have of overall U.S. income, Asian income, and the other ethnic groups that are, you know, spread across the same line, and in the poverty line. And I think it's, you know, sometimes many in our community also fall victim to the model minority myth ourselves to say, hey, I'm doing great. Isn't that wonderful? Or I came out of, I am one of these success stories from these marginalized groups, as you say. But I think it's really important for us to tell a nuanced narrative not to say that we aren't doing well, which I think we should celebrate those in our community who do well, but you've done the important work of saying, but what about these folks, right? Like we have to continue to, um, my personal motto, Neil, has been disaggregate. That's, that's you know, a word that I didn't really use prior to last year. And it's something that it just falls off my tongue because I, I say it so often. But from your conversations with peers, both in and outside the community, um, what is the response of, the importance of personal storytelling, which obviously your podcast is about, but also making sure that it is data-driven and as fact-driven as we can so that it is a little bit more defensible. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's important to just, you know, facts with the basis of data, right, is, is really important. And I think that, you know, a lot of people always talk about, you know, Asians as one category, which actually has a lot of different types of diverse people. And, you know, that word disaggregate, right? It sounds so nerdy of a, a word, right? <laughs> what does that mean, disaggregate? It just means that we have many different voices, many different perspectives, different ways, or different starting points. You know, Asian Americans didn't all come in the same way. People came from, you know, some people came in the late 1800s or you know, some people came in after 1965 when the Immigration and uh, Nationality Act was passed. And some came really recently as students into the United States, or some came as refugees, you know, escaping their countries from political strife. So I think that's what's important about basing it on data, because the data tells those stories. It, it you know, what I, what I always pinpoint, like you, Jerry, you pointed out about, you know, income, right? You know, Asian Americans overall are doing well compared to other racial and ethnic groups. But when you disaggregate or you look deeper, there are different circumstances of how people started, which reflects the income. So Burmese Americans, who many came as um, refugees, have a much lower income, like $44,000 to be exact in terms of medium household income compared to Indian Americans who are selected to immigrate in the United States because of their education attainment, and they have well over $100,000 a year of median household income. So it's those nuances that I think are important for people to understand, um, because otherwise people will, um, you know, mask based on, you know, the aggregated facts can mask 
what's going on in the disaggregated facts about the Asian population in the United States. I love talking to you because I feel like we speak the same language and it, it is something that I think I have begun to appreciate too. Cause I think, you know, we, we talked about this in, in the, the former conversation. I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that one in, in its entirety. You know, we've all had to sort of readopt or reimagine our identity as broadly Asian American in a way that we want to advocate for everybody else, because as a privileged Korean American dude, it is really easy for me to say, well, that's not my problem, right? That's not, you know, um, we came here on our own, we are doing well. And so like, why do I care about everybody else? Right. And I think some of the things that come out of the workshops that I run and the conversations that I have is, wow, I had no idea the disparity. And the second realization is neither the perpetrators of hate crimes or oftentimes institutions in America, they don't really care, right? They bundle us together anyway. And so you know, it's this weird nuance of us wanting to disaggregate this data to tell a more nuanced story. But then we also need to tell this collective Asian American story so that our voice becomes a lot more powerful and more unified. Because if you imagine, you know, there are Asian American ethnic groups that are less than 50,000 strong, they are likely not going to have a strong voice, right? Because it's, you know, the game of politics and power in this country. But I, I think it is fascinating to, you know, have a basic understanding or mutual agreement that this is what our demographic looks like and going forward, right? And I think it's also really interesting to note in your study as well, the complexity with which our community will grow, right? Mm -hmm. So Pew estimates that we're going to be the fastest growing or the fastest growing and the largest immigrant community here in the States in just a few short decades. Um, mm -hmm. That means we're going to have children here, but also more people are going to come. The people, the children that are being born here are going to identify their Asian American identity in a different way because many of them will be mixed race children and they're mm -hmm. going to grow up in a different world. And so I, I think the, the work that you do is really fascinating and helping to understand and having set a baseline for how to talk about us, right? Because a lot of the, I'm sure the, the, the questions that you get, and I'm curious to hear them too, like, how do you talk about Asian America? Because I think for us, we've either centered our age, even our own broad Asian American identity on you being Filipino, me being Korean, and sort of that anchors the rest of the community. But, mm -hmm. but we're by and large, a large chunk, right? Like both of our groups are about, you know, 10% of, of the population. So we're sizable, but we look at the pie chart, you know, it's six ethnic groups making up 85%. Yep. You know, it's how, how have you, you know, in your work and sort of the way that you understand um, have become a little bit more mindful of the way that we even talk about us. Um, I know, you know, we're recording this right at the end of May. There's been a series of events celebrating or, you know, working, centering our voices, both where you are in DC and across the country. You know, are we getting better at making sure that some of the more marginalized groups have their voices heard? Or, you know, and how does this work sort of help to at least keep us conscious of that, knowing that, mm -hmm. um, because I'll tell you, I've seen some panels with like three Korean Chinese dudes saying that, you know, this is the opinions of Asian Americans. And even as somebody who is of that demographic, I cringe a little bit saying, I don't know anything, right? And, and so how, how do we make sure that we can continue going forward, um, especially in the light of the last couple of years, to make sure that we are more mindful and more nuanced in the way that we talk about our really diverse yet super complex community? I mean, this is a, the challenge. 
I think this is a big challenge of talking about how you speak about Asian Americans in the United States. And I think that, and that's why I always start off, it's a diverse population, right? And I think centering it around data is really important because if you don't send it around data, you end up having shortcuts, right? Uh, like what you just said, you've seen panels and you know, here's the one or three different Asian Americans. And then you're not sure, you know, they're all one um, ethnic group versus, you know, where's everyone else, right? And then trying to be cognizant, are they speaking on behalf of everyone? Or are they talking about only their perspective from their groups? And I think that that's why centering around data is really important, because I think this, you know, there is a, there are findings on Asians overall, right? So we, Asian Americans overall are the fastest racial ethnic group in the United States, right? But then when you start disaggregating, you you see, well, well, why, why right? Well, um, let's see immigrants, immigrant versus non-immigrants, right? Asian American Asians in the United States are the largest immigrant um, pop share of the of the racial ethnic group, right? So Asians have more immigrants, majority are immigrants compared to let's say black Americans, Hispanics and whites. Um, that's a fact, right? But then you start going deeper. Okay, well, okay, so there's a lot more, less US born, more U foreign born or immigrants, but then you're like, okay, who are the ones immigrating more to the US? Then there's like different ways they immigrate, right? Some like come as refugees, some are coming as family sponsored, you know, like I know my parents, you know, sponsored their, you know, Filipinos took a long time, right? Like 16, 20 years to get their brothers, my dad's brothers here to the US, but people came in as sponsored into, into by their family members or people left. Like I know some friends who are Lao and they had to leave because of war. So I think that that's um, trying to understand that. And that's again, data set around data is really important because it, reveals all these disaggregated, or you want to say these diverse stories of how people come in, came into the U.S. under circumstances. And so the, the studies that were released last year were sort of taking a snapshot of the community to, to use a broad term like pre-pandemic. Yeah. Have, have you noticed any trends that, you know, some one thing that people are particularly curious about is because of the rhetoric and because of COVID and also because of perceived safety in this country, are Asian folks changing their mind about immigrating here? Does that change population projections? And, and, and how does that help or not, you know, sort of, I think there was the, uh, some reports of a drop in applications for graduate schools across the board to the mm -hmm. states. Was that safety related? Was that COVID related? And I guess we don't have the data yet, right? And we'll, we'll see in a few years if we can look back and, and then see how that's changed. But I think that's also going to be a fascinating thing because the last two years, broadly speaking, has never happened before. Um, and, and some of the things that we are experiencing and, and what I'm really excited to talk to you about you know, today is sort of what do we do now having uh, not just witnessed but experienced firsthand the things that we've gone through collectively as a community, both in our personal safety because of COVID, the rhetoric that was spread falsely, and then the the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes and violence as we have all have uh, seen and heard and um, have, have read too much about. And, you know, just the overwhelming anxiety, uh, stress that we are facing, you know, conversations with friends about, do we stay here? Do we go back? Mm -hmm. Is there a place to go back to? And this is also in particular light as we sit here at the end of May, 
not Asian American specific, but just the uh, rise of just tragic news that is coming from all parts of the country, um, really rethinking, you know, how we even parent, how we live our lives, and then all these things. And so earlier this month in May, uh, Pew Research uh, announced another uh, study, and the headline is is that you know about a third, a little more than a third of Asian Americans say that they have changed their daily routines, uh, specifically due to the concern of threats and attacks. And so what, what does that mean? Or is that taking different modes of transportation? Is that not going to places alone? Um, how, how do we determine the change in our daily routine? And does that also impact folks' ability to earn and to provide for their family? I mean, Jerry, I just, you know, we have to remember, I mean, it's 2022 now, but 2020 was, I mean, it was a seismic shift in the entire world, right? It changed everybody in the United States, around the world, everywhere. It halted the entire world in terms of travel. Everyone's still fearful about, you know, getting COVID or getting used to it. But then I think what was interesting about 2020 also is that you had this seismic shift also on our dialogue around the narratives around race and ethnicity in the United States, right? We, we just can't forget what happened, you know, with George Floyd, unfortunately, um, three, two years ago, right? Yeah, 2020. And then also the rise in anti-Asian hate. So those two, three things, right? We saw COVID-19, we saw the halting of international students coming to the U.S. because of that, or and just in general, migration overall. And then we had George Floyd, the National Dialogue, Black Lives Matter, then you had um, anti-Asian hate. So I think what was interesting, at least as it relates to Asian Americans, is that during that time, we were trying to figure out, this was in 2020, we have a general population survey in, at Pew. So it's not a specialized survey that could have different Asian languages. It's really just English and Spanish. Um, but we decided, let's survey and ask a question from our Asian sample, um, what's going on, right? Is there, are people, fear, is there more fear around since COVID-19, have they experienced more discrimination? And people told us that they were, it was more common for people to express, you know, racist views towards Asians, and they were experiencing more discrimination because since the pandemic began. And that, Jerry, what you brought up, um, what we released since 2020, we did it last year again, trying to monitor what's going on, even though it's not the best data, it's because it's only a general population, um, Asians speaking English or Spanish, but mostly English, of course. And then um, it showed that, that a majority of Asian Americans say violence against them is increasing still, you know, 63% said it's increasing. It's a little bit down from last year, which was 81%, but people are worried. People, you know, the majority of Asian adults in the U.S. worry sometimes or almost every day or um, almost every day that um, they might be threatened or attacked because of their race or ethnicity. And then of that, over a third, 36%, say that they've changed their routine in the last 12 months because of that worry. So they change their schedules, whether it's I'm not going to ride the metro or I'm going to, you know, not walk this certain path or or be alone or um, you know how you commute to work. I think what that's capturing is all these different changes of our daily routine, 
that um, Asian adults are, are doing in the United States because of this um, rise in race uh, the, of this threat. But we have to remember that what this revealed also is that this is nothing new. I know everyone's always saying, you know, this is, is this a, just a 2020 phenomenon or have we just been more conscious of it? Because our surveys at Pew, even before the pandemic, like in 2019, it showed that Asian adults in the U.S., majority, 66%, said that, you know, have, they have personally experienced discrimination because of their race or ethnicity, which is the exact same way it's been since June 2020, same way as April 2021, and it continues today. So discrimination is still the same pre-pandemic or now during the pandemic. So this is just this is just revealing people are changing their behavior now. And I think you mentioned the 63% number, but in the same survey, 19 said it's staying the same, which doesn't help, right? I mean, so it all depends on sort of our subjective views on like the the intensity. But if we think it's a hundred level danger, then it can't increase anymore, right? And so I, I think if, if we add those two, then it's 82% think it's getting worse or always been this bad. And, and then that's really, really concerning. And I think you know, this data point also breaks down sort of the perception of other racial groups uh, mm -hmm. with respect to us. And I think it's it's fascinating to to see the drop um, across all racial groups in terms of their perception of uh, the percentage of, you know, uh, likely that other groups think that the violence against Asian Americans is increasing, right? And so, again, I, I think that has a lot to do with the news cycles and um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there are a lot of other things going around both locally and in the world that takes up airspace and not everybody, uh, I know we do, but not everybody follows Safan and Dion and Next Shark on Instagram. And like, it's not always, you know, because we we also self-select our news sources, right? And and, and we want to be notified, right? Because it, it matters to us more. And, and I also think this is also a reflection of what's being covered, right? And just there's so many things going on that it is impossible and as, as painful as it is to say, only the worst crimes get national coverage. And so when things happen, it, it doesn't show up. But also in that regard, you know, I'm also curious, this was done in English. And so there's two things that here at play here. I think there is a, a language uh, access, sample size consideration, but also cultural considerations still of keeping quiet. I mean, I, I can still remember, many, many of you probably do too, if you're listening, Something bad happens, and the first thing your mom says is, we're not going to talk about it, right? Or my car got broken into, and my mom said, don't bother calling the police. And I said, why not? He goes, what if they find out we call the police and they come back, right? And so even as something, you know, and I wasn't in the car. It was just sitting in the car. But even things like that are, I think, more culturally aligned. And, and so how do we, I mean, can we safely assume that these numbers are underreported to what degree we don't know, but if we were able to get or elders, the one who are correlated to have less English proficiency and more likely to keep quiet, is the situation perhaps even more concerning than the data is telling us today? I mean, those are great questions. We, we don't know to what extent this is an undercount. What I can tell you is that we will be studying this more deeply in, very, in the coming months. This year, we will be fielding um, a couple of things um, 
uh, a, a big, more specialized survey that will be able to talk and that has different languages and is offered um, in different languages and will be more targeted towards the Asian population in the US where we can ask questions and we'll have better answers then. But what this tells us is that it's still showing that it's increasing. It's still showing that people are changing their behaviors. So if it's happening with the English Asian American population, it might be equally or more or less, but probably equally similar to um, um, our immigrant, Asian immigrant, the first generation who are here, who would be more likely to take a survey in their languages. So I think that um, it's just, it gives us a little bit of a metric on understanding. And I know a lot of other people have been collecting other types of data as well. So together, we're showing this increase, right? We're showing this change in behavior. We're seeing this change in routine. Um, and we're also showing, um, we're also hearing this, I guess, frustration or what to do next, right? <laughs> so I think, um, I think that's that's there, but you're right. Better data will probably reveal deeper nuances. Maybe it will tell us about, you know, what you just said, you know, your parents would tell you, you know, be quiet, right? I know that for me, I hear that too in my head, you know, um, like when something bad happens, just, you know, at least it's different for different people, but for me and yourself, you're probably hearing the thing, you know, that just be quiet. Don't, don't say anything, you know, just that person might hurt you even more. Right. I, I hear that from my mom all the time, right? She's like, just, it's, it didn't hurt you. It's fine. Just, yeah. just don't say anything because they might come back after you. They know right. you're home or their car or your property, right? So those are things that we've heard in some of our studies and talking to different people. Um, but I think, um, so you're right, there could be an undercount and we don't know to what extent. And it comes in different forms of reporting. People are probably under-reporting. Um, out of also this threat, out of this fear. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of what's next, I think, is, you know, something that we're all curious about collectively as we sort of figure out, like, OK, what do we do? Right. Like it, it's still it's still happening. Laguna Woods is fresh. Dallas is fresh in our minds. And, we you know, one of the things, according to the same survey, like making, you know, hate crime laws stronger, I think, is about half of the survey people think that's, you know, a good solution. Um, you know, those things are complicated by jurisdiction. They take a long time to enact. There's also a push in the long run to make sure that we get Asian American education into grade level schools. And we, you know, we're, we're hearing good news about that across the country. But from your expertise perspective of data, what can we do individually and collectively so that we can leverage the power of our stories through surveys and data points to really use it as a tool to bring two conversations, because I, you know, as we talked about earlier, there are anecdotes, which are fine, but anecdotes are not defensible, right? And again, not trying to minimize anybody's personal experiences, but, and it's also a self-identity, right? And so we just talked about our parents, especially our mothers who are telling us to not report things. They almost expect that because they see themselves as guests in this country. They moved here, so they may not see themselves as American, you and I do, many of our friends or children certainly will. And so looking at that or next generations will. And so the audacity in a way, and I put that in quotes, to be wanted treated fairly is the reason why we need to have this conversation, right? Because we refuse to be othered and we refuse to still consider the outsiders. But and, and data is our friend because it will say this is indisputable, or at least this is a strong case. 
to say that one, we are diverse as you know, general population data says, but when we are presented with this and in the work that you and your team continue to do, which we're so, so, so grateful for, it makes it less easy for somebody to say, no, you are not, you're all, it's all in your head, right? Like, it, and it's, that, that I am optimistic for, that we will now have more tools and there are more data collectors and you know uh, storytellers in our community now. I think one of the silver linings of the last couple of years has been more increased awareness and investment in data collection to tell a more, you know, hopefully a more objective story. And so in terms of what now for you from, you are the data expert in the community, like what keeps you optimistic about what we can do knowing more objectively about our community to help stem the violence and to have a, a more safe and more, um, you know, a different future? I mean, I think what at least what we're doing here at Pew Research Center is trying to really, with facts and data, really highlight kind of the stories, the voices in a statistical manner or in a non-statistical manner sometimes too, of, of what's going on in their heads. Like what is going on in terms of what are they thinking? Um, just you, you mentioned that that question we asked about, you know, what Asian Americans think we should do to prevent, you know, violence against Asians. And, you know, almost 50% said making laws against hate crimes stronger, right? Um, we didn't have enough questions to ask, go deeper there. But we did ask Asians in the United States to rate how local elected officials have been doing in um, in terms of their job and dealing with violence against Asian Americans. And that's actually a really interesting data point. It actually says that more Asian adults in the US, again, English speaking only, but say, tells that they're doing somewhat a very or somewhat bad job. You know, elect, local elected officials are doing a very or somewhat bad job dealing with violence against Asians. This is a lot more than the 19% saying that they're doing a very good or somewhat good job. So, you know, those two together is telling us that, you know, make laws against hate crime stronger is what um, the top, um, you know, effective way of preventing violence against Asians that, that Asian adults are in the U.S. are telling us. And then secondly, they're saying that the local elected officials are not doing a great job. So those two and together, I think, is giving us a little bit of an idea of what the solution could be or of more can be done. But um I'm hopeful because we will have more. We will have more data that we are collecting in the, in the coming year, in the coming months, that will hopefully um, highlight and enlighten this. And I know other people also are doing this as well. So you're right. Collectively, the research community is looking in deeper about all these questions on trying to figure out how to, um, you know, what is going on and what are the solutions and what are people telling us should be the solutions. And and, and for that, I am very grateful and very optimistic as well because. Uh, I, I think those two facts that you just mentioned about politicians seemingly being disengaged or not doing good enough and the lack of objective data are correlated because once we go to them or elect people in next cycles who believe in the data, who can then use that to tell a better story, I, I think that will hopefully also mean that we trust in our local elected officials more because we haven't said this word yet, but oftentimes when we share our story, we get gaslit. And gaslighting is a principle where somebody is saying something to invalidate your own stories and your feelings. And if you can then go back to them with the data and saying, me feeling 
unsafe, me feeling discriminated against in this country, I am not alone. And then here's a reputable data set that was done scientifically to say that many of us feel that way. Then we are hopefully minimizing excuses and limitations to what they what they can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we should have started with this, but I, I want to end with, you know, you spent, you're, you're based in DC, many of us in the community, community leaders. Um, I went, although regretfully, we didn't get to hang out in person, but you've been a part of a lot of celebrations, a lot of work uh, in and around the community. What specifically are you optimistic about based on the events that you've attended, the, the things that you've heard and the conversations that you've had? Because I, I do think that you know it is uh, a critical juncture in our community's history and legacy to say, what do we do about this, right? And, and mm-hmm. we're not done with the violence. That's unfortunately true, but we have this pause to sort of write the next chapter as we reflect in the last couple of years. Uh, what, what keeps you optimistic about the work that you do? I mean, what's seeing all the celebrations this, this week and also every time I'm talking about data, I know data is like the you know, nerdiest kind of word, but I think it resonated with people and leaders that data is important, but it's not even just data, it's stories, it's voices, it's, it's opinions. This is something, what I'm excited about is that people are excited about Help, like the work that I'm doing to reveal these stories, right? I know that in survey research, you always see the, you know, this is going to be election season. We're going to see, ooh, what do, you know, white, black, Hispanics think who should be winning, right? You hear those three all the time. And when it comes to elections, right? Or, the, you know, men versus women, or, you know, Hispanic male men versus Hispanic women, or Republicans versus Democrats, right? So you're gonna hear all those in this coming election season. And then I know we're gonna have still today, we're still gonna have missing Asian voices in that, right? But what I'm optimistic and I'm where I'm working on in the next year and I'm excited is that we're gonna work towards fixing that, right? What I'm excited is that, you know, in public opinion research, what we, we have the privilege of doing is reveal an objective way without our own advocacy, just very plainly their voices in their own words, statistically telling us what they're thinking and what direction they think the country should go, right? Public opinion research, this type of data is part of American democracy, right? We have elections that will tell us, you know, if someone wins or loses because people want a certain interest. When we reveal survey findings and public opinion research, we're giving a snapshot of this point in time, what people and what publishers are telling us what to do. You know, public opinion research, data like this, surveys are part of the fabric of American democracies and democracies around the world. So I have the privilege and I I feel honored and I think other people are excited about just revealing this data, these voices, these attitudes. That's important because then that could lead to um, change I'll be relevant to these populations. Not my view, not Neil's view, not Pew Research Center's view, not you know, Jerry's view, but you know, our moms and dads, like, and multiplied by more, like all, their, all our children, like their voices in an accurate way. That's important because you wanna accurately depict the voices, their attitudes, so they could actually take in the direction that they want to go, right? We're, and hopefully elected officials will take it in the direction or listen to them, or people will understand us better, right? They'll know, oh, Asians are not all the same, right? Or we're, there's 
they're different, right? So, and, and appreciate it rather than, you know, just usually they lump everyone together or, or the complete opposite. Like you, you want to have that, you know, part of the fabric of American public opinion research or part of America. I think that's what we'll, I'm excited about providing. And that's what I've been excited at all these events. I think there's people are realizing the storytelling is important, the data or, or really making visible what's been invisible for the longest time for the 22 million plus Asian Americans in the U.S. so that their voices can be heard in, again, in an untainted, objective way. Man, I, I am so grateful for the work that you do. I, I know I said this the last time, but right time, right opportunity, but more importantly, I think the right person to help, you know, give us the necessary tools to make the changes that we collectively want to see uh, so that we can better advocate for our community. It, it is such a joy to talk to you again, Neil. Uh, I made a not such a timely ask for you to come back and you said yes, and and, and you, you're making time for us. And for that, I am very, very grateful. We'll see you in a few months when the new data uh, comes back. And before that, hopefully, I am going to be in DC a few times this year. So we'll definitely hang out in person. Um, but I am so grateful for the work that you're doing. Uh, keep up the good fight. And, and thank you for staying loud for us. Thank you, Jerry. It's nice to be here. Big thanks to Neil for joining us again in what has been an extremely busy month for him, as we talked about on the show. Uh, he was in, He is in D.C., and he was extremely busy uh, with so many events and meetings and uh, advocating for uh, the advancements of our community and our, um, our uh, Asian American community <laughs> through uh, his work in gathering data. And so, as he alluded to, uh, we're going ha- to have him back um, in August to share w- with us new updated information and a, a new transformative study about our community. Again, big, big shout out to our friends at Stand with Asian Americans for supporting our work and in uh, partnership with our 10-episode series called Dear Asian Americans, What Now? Um, in the coming weeks, we'll have folks from Stop API Hate. We'll have uh, politicians. We will have newscasters and try to bring you a more nuanced and more comprehensive view of what has happened, what continues to happen, and what we want to happen going forward in protecting our community. You can find us on the internet at dearasianamericans.com, at dearasianamericans on Instagram. You can find me personally at jerrywan.com or at jerryjwan on Instagram. And uh, welcome your feedback. And you can send us an email at hello at dearasianamericans.com. We'll do our best to uh, reply to everybody. And um, if you're just joining us for the first time, again, thank you so much for joining us and uh, entrusting me uh, and entrusting us to share Asian American stories with you all. I encourage you to go back and listen to uh, prior episodes. Again, Neil's other episode where he talks a little bit more about his own personal background can be found on episode 112. Looking forward to a celebratory Pride Month with all of our uh, friends in our Asian American community and other uh, communities in the LGBTQIA plus community and, and happy Pride to everybody who celebrates. And um, yeah, it's been uh, a lot of uh, great events in May as I reflect on uh, another busy month with uh events and a trip to the White House and all that. And just nothing but gratitude for you all listening to our stories and for sharing these stories out to others as well. And so thanks again for tuning in. I am your host, Jerry Wan of the Asian Americans, wishing you health, happiness, and safety. See you next time.